Kia ora, what's up everyone? I'm Jonathan and you're tuned in to the Honest Theology Podcast, where the aim here is to have open and honest theological conversations about lots of different things, and with guests who know a lot more about these things than I do. This is season one entitled Me, You, Jesus, and Who, where I invite a guest on to talk about something in regards to Jesus specifically. And honestly, I can't wait to get started, so let's go. Hey there, and welcome back to the Honest Theology Podcast. Today our topic is Jesus and other religions, and my guest today is the perfect person, I think, to talk about this, partly because he has a book called Jesus and the Religions, and another one called Christians Meeting Hindus, but also those books are informed by the fact that he spent 25 plus years as dean and senior lecturer for all things theology at Laidlaw College. Uh, he also spent uh, a number of years in Singapore as a missionary mission partner with the Anglican Church, living, working, and putting theology into practice alongside a mixture of religions there. He's a part-time assistant priest in his Anglican parish, uh, as well as currently acting as a research fellow for Laidlaw College, researching a topic which I'd love to have him on again someday, uh, that's, but that's another thing. Um, and he's still lecturing the occasional course at Laidlaw in Christ Church. Uh, and did one today, actually, didn't he? Uh, if I say too much more, though, about how, how, how great and how smart he is, I'll be in danger of overfeeding his ego, so I'll cut it off there. But needless to say, he's a well-respected and popular uh, in many Christian circles. He's been a mentor and an influence on many, including myself. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Bob Robinson. Hey, Bob. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. How are you? Well, I'm well. Slightly husky. Um... Too much talking this morning, but uh, <laughs> I'm well. You like to talk, so that's a good thing. Um, why don't you start by telling a little bit of our listeners about your faith journey to this point? Well, faith journey started, I was born at a very early age uh, here, in, here in Christchurch um, to a family that uh, had no church connections at all, but thanks to the Salvation Army and uh, Christian guys that I got to know later in my life, um, my life was really turned around and a a dramatic conversion experience in a near-empty church when I was 16. That's all right. And uh, no turning back from that. That mm. was uh, a powerful encounter with God. Mm. I didn't know that. That's yes, cool. just so not quite out of the blue, but pretty close to being out of the blue. Mm. And then that led on to, how did you get into what you're doing now? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's good. Okay, well, I've got a few more questions for you just to help our listeners get to know you on a little bit of a different level. These are rapid, quick fire, just top of, top of your head kind of things, okay? So uh, what are your top five favorite ways to pass the time? Well, I guess doing podcasts is right, <laughs> right near the top there. Um, I watch a lot of sport. I do a lot of uh, reading. We've got a reasonable-sized garden and... Uh, apple trees to look after, mm. and we've got seven grandchildren, and we're the only grandparents within Kui, so that also takes up a lovely amount of time. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, great. And with, uh, and then, so next one is, um, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten or drinking? Drinking? Drunk. Drunk. Drank. Drunk. <laughs> well, yes, the old drinking. Um, I was, for one reason or another, in Karamoja. Uh -huh. which is the kind of wild west, except it's the wild north part of Uganda. Okay. And it's the territory of the Karamajong people who are 
really cattle raiding bandits. Um, it's one of their, their major hobbies. And I was taken to meet the local chief, one reason and another. And I was sat down in a big sort of, sort of large size hut. And I was presented um, with quite a bit of ceremony with a large glass of frothy pink stuff. <laughs> and I say to my, um, th and the guy who's giving it to me uh, can't speak any English, uh, my offsider, I say to him, uh, David, what's, uh, what actually is this? Oh, Bob, he says, it's a mixture of, um, of milk from one of the chief's favourite cows and the other half of it is blood that he's let out from his favourite bull. So it's half blood, half milk. And uh, I say to him, is this safe to drink, David? Um, thinking brucellosis, <laughs> I'm thinking tuberculosis. And David says, probably okay. Oh, hang on a minute, he says. The question is, because of your status, did the, uh, did the chief add something else that... Uh, I mean, on a podcast, you know, there could be people under the age of 30 listening to this. Yes. I, I, I can't say what the other thing was. The chief might have added. Uh. Uh, but I don't know, and I don't want to ask the chief, says my friend. What do I do? <coughs> Bob, you've got to drink it. <laughs> so <laughs> down, it, down it goes. And I was fine. I had another fortnight in, uh, in Uganda, and I survived um, with only the story to tell. Wow. Very cool, okay. Um, all right, next question is, if you weren't so Anglican, where would you be most likely to worship? Oh, if I wasn't an Anglican. Now, that's an impossible question because Ooh. when I, I was spent quite a bit of time in France in a, in a charismatic Catholic community that met in a converted um, car park under a huge apartment block, that was fantastic, mm. worshipping with them. But over the years, I've worshipped and invited to speak at the whole range of churches that Laidlaw mm. has connections with, Anglican, Presbyterian, Methodist, right through to a whole range of Pentecostal and Charismatic. Mm. And there's always something that I think I've been enriched. There's something I've learned here today. Um, so the answer's pretty open-ended. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, and finally, who is Jesus to you? Well, Jesus... Uh, Jesus is a person who is an example and a hero and someone with mana for me. Um, I mean, I know it's corny to say we look for heroes, but if we're going to imitate someone and follow someone, uh, you know, those, those commands in the New Testament to have the same mind as mm. Jesus and to walk as Jesus walked means following his example. Mm -hmm. um, I guess most days... I'm challenged to do that. So Jesus, an example, yeah. Mm, very good, good answer. Cool, well, with that in mind, let's talk some more about Jesus. Uh, okay, this, so, so our conversation could go and may go in a number of different directions, which is fine. I'm really hoping to just have an open and unscripted conversation and see where it goes, so what theological depths it takes us. But I'll start with one question just to kick us off, sort of push us off the dock and let the, open water and tides take us away, so to speak. Um, I guess it's actually two questions, I suppose. The first is a, a very popular question I hear all the time, questions the Christian faith, but really any, any faith, sort of. 
Um, yeah, it's a popular conception today, and the question is, are all religions essentially the same? And the second follow-up sort of dovetails with that is uh, in this growing, diverse, and pluralistic society where we see an increase in spiritual awareness and openness and religious indifference as well, how is Jesus uniquely different and important to this worldview and context which we currently find ourselves in at the moment? Okay, so that first question, are all religions essentially the same? Mm. Okay, <clears throat> there's an academic part of me says that any answer that asks for the essence of something is not going to take us very far because it turns whatever you're talking about into a thing and it, mm. something impersonal, that there's supposedly some essence that it's shared with other things that look the same. So it's not a good question from that point of view. Okay. But I, I know... That's not what people really are, are asking, asking about, yeah. but it's a little danger lurking to one side. But as to the question, are they all the same? Well, the answer is yes and no. Mm -hmm. The answer is yes because religions are organised in some way. So religions, all religions tend to have uh, buildings that are important to them, people who lead them, um, books that are important to them, scriptures mm -hmm. or holy mm -hmm. books, uh, things that they do by way of ritual and then stories that hold them together that link with the other people of the same religion. So all the religions have those elements in, in common. Right. Um, but the answer is also no because religions are organised around uh, different historical starting points and different people who are important to them above the leaders or starting points of other religions. So to that extent, they're not the same. Mm. They are different. So the commonalities are there, the differences are there. And uh, I just want to check when a person says, you know, they're all basically the same, mm. I want to ask, well, what do you mean by that so that I can give the counterexample? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, okay. Uh, so what if, so the concept of um, all religions are just pathways leading up, going up the same mountain? Mm. Well, they could be pathways spiraling, spiraling around and getting lost among the crags and, uh, and forests. And uh, I mean, there's, you know, you've prejudged the issues by saying mm. all pathways leading to the top. Mm. I mean, if, just about every day in New Zealand, we read about people getting lost, dangerously lost, because they thought they were going up a hill that might take them to some vantage point. Mm. A number of people die. People are dying in New Zealand all the time. So, you know, the the, the analogy is is not a good one, and uh, because I can immediately chip in with contrary e examples. Mm. It's an example of people's wishes becoming their beliefs. People want there to be one mountain with one goal at the top mm. and the different religions being paths leading up to that goal. Mm. That's an example of people wanting something to be true and wanting it to be true doesn't make it true. Of course not, yeah, yeah. It might be true, but wanting it to be true right. doesn't guarantee in any way that it will be true. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, all right, so to that, to that second question of... Um, you know, how, how does Jesus fit within this 
pluralistic religious world which we find ourselves in and um, uh, some you know some would say that um, Jesus is just one answer or that you know Jesus can be found in each of these other religions and yeah you know, what do you say to that okay what I say to that is I probably hoping that I've got enough time for the person who's asked that kind of question <laughs> want to step back and say you know our, our discussion could go in all sorts of ways if we don't pause for a moment and ask the question, well, what is religion anyway? Mm, good question. What yeah. is religion, yeah, what is religion? anyway? Mm. So, and my answer to that is religion is the human quest for answers or an extraordinary answer to the question, why are we here and what is it all about? Mm. And uh, different religions, all well, the different religions do attempt to answer that question. They attempt to give an extraordinary answer that is an answer out of the ordinary mm-hmm. to the question, why are we here and what is life basically about? And you can give two answers to that question. You can say religion is the various people groups of the world reaching out in their own way for an answer to that kind of question. Mm. Or you can start with the question the other way around. Is there any evidence that religion is the supreme or the transcendent or God reaching down to us? Mm. Mm. So depending on where you start, is religion about human beings reaching up? Right. Or is it about the transcendent reaching down. Mm. And, uh, yeah, Mm. if it's the first question, human beings reaching out, that would explain why the commonalities are there. But if it's the transcendent reaching down, you need to then start asking the question, well, what is the evidence that that ever might have happened? And if it ever did allegedly happen... In what way did it happen? What evidence is it? Evidence is there that it happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I just jump ahead to uh, a, the Christian shortcut answer to that, mm-hmm. um, it might be framed like this, John: that religion is what human beings do about God. The Christian gospel is what God does about human beings. Mm. And that's where uh, Jesus comes in, that's where the Bible comes in, that's where Christian distinctives come in. Um, And uh, I think our discussion will go on to point out, uh, I hope quite quickly, that this is not to do with bad-mouthing the other religions Mm. with their distinctive claims, but to say, for a Christian person, that's what it's all about the religion question basically settled by the living God reaching down to us. Mm. Mm. Kind of reminds me, going back to the mountain thing, something something you mentioned uh, years ago when we were, I was doing your World Religions course, um, something to the effect of maybe it's not all pathways winding up and down different directions going up, up to the top of the mountain, but perhaps people in religion 
going down the mountain different ways and sort of going uh, descending and moving further away from God, perhaps further, further, uh, or away, further from away from or further away from the initial yes. initial point, you know, yes. of, of creation and contact, and yeah, yes. Um, and and one sad consequence of that is if you if you think of that coming down the mountain, moving away from the living God, but also moving away from one another, yeah, exactly. And therefore, mm. suspicious of one another, and therefore wanting to chuck rocks um, yeah. across onto other paths. Yeah. Um, yes, so that's a, that's another factor as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, great. So, how did Jesus? How did Jesus? Did Jesus have react to or relate to other religions in his day? Yes, um, yes. And, and what? Good. Yes, because that's what triggered your question. Uh, yeah. and I took us off on a that's important okay. side okay. <laughs> side trip. Um, okay, so. How did Jesus react? Because here's a bit of a dilemma in a way. Uh, Jesus never met any Confucianists mm. or Hindus or Muslims or Buddhists because mm. there weren't any. Right. There either weren't any or they weren't accessible to, to him. Um, but Jesus did, did meet people that in his day were called Gentiles. So Jesus... Uh, his human religion was was Judaism, mm-hmm. the religion that stems from uh, Abraham and and Moses and the prophets, <laughs> um, and uh, the people that his fellow Jews were most worried about or suspicious about were the non-Jews, the uh, Gentiles, mm-hmm. the uncircumcised, and then a, a radical breakaway group from Judaism called the Samaritans. Right. So so to sum up, Jesus didn't actually meet any of those other religions that I named, but he did meet people who in Jewish eyes were, well, as bad mm. or um, important to be suspicious about uh, because they, they weren't Jews. And uh, and that's where the really di- uh, something really distinctive about the life of Jesus uh, kicks in quite quickly because Jesus' fellow Jews were universally suspicious of Gentiles. You couldn't eat their food. You couldn't receive drink or water from them. You couldn't go into their houses. Mm. I mean, those were all the common places of um, Jesus' fellow Jews. And Jesus broke all those religions, uh, those those regulations. Mm. Jesus systematically went off into Gentile and Samaritan country. Sure, yeah, totally. I mean, he was a radical. He was a rebel in that way. And Jesus linked that up with the ability of the living God to reach out to these people. And some of the most moving and poignant stories in in the Gospels are about Jesus' encounters with these people about whom his fellow Jews and his own disciples mm. were very suspicious of, very twitchy about. Mm. Yeah, so how how might that, or what might that say, um, the way that Jesus reacted to those people groups and, and those non-Jewish faith-based uh, people, um, about how, how might we react today or how to, yes. to the faiths around us. I mean, yes. there are many more, and it's yes. much more diverse now, especially here in New Zealand. Yes, um, yes. Well, just for a moment, let me stick with, with the gospel yeah, go stories here because these give, I think, powerful examples mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. Um, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 4, 
there's a near murderous uh, event that happens in Jesus' life because Jesus, when challenged in the synagogue to defend his claim to be the Messiah, uh, God's promised uh, Redeemer, Jesus quotes an obscure couple of stories from the Old Testament in which uh, God uh, clearly shows unprecedented favour towards Gentiles. There's a, um, a Gentile army officer who has been responsible for the death mm. of many Jewish people. And uh, there's a, a, a woman who is clearly a pagan and so on. And, and, and anyway, to mm. get to the point, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus says, well, you know, God reached out and blessed those two Gentiles while appearing to do nothing for his own people, mm. this is to show that Jesus, that the God doesn't have favourites among the peoples of the world. And that led to a, a riot and an attempt to kill Jesus, right. biff him off a cliff. Yeah. So right from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is showing that the living God actually cares for and communicates with and is involved in the life of people who are not Jewish. Mm -hmm. And then there are other examples um, in the gospel stories, really poignant and count. Jesus meets a, a Roman centurion, you know, just one of the occupying uh, imperial uh, imperial masters that mm -hmm. are there. And, uh, and Jesus heals this pagan person's uh, uh, son, mm -hmm. Jesus meets a Canaanite woman, a, a pagan, she's called Syrophoenician or Canaanite, mm -hmm. uh, she, whose daughter is demon-possessed. And much against the, um, the clamouring of his own disciples, Jesus goes out of his way, out of his way to heal that, that person. Yeah. And just going back to the Roman centurion, uh, Jesus, because he recognises faith and humility in this Roman officer, he actually says to his disciples, I've never met faith like this yeah. anywhere yeah. among my own people. Yeah. And, and Jesus meets a Samaritan and, and the same, you know, Samaritan woman mm. and the same kind of thing unfolds and uses a story, the parable of the compassionate Sam Samaritan yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in which a compassionate Samaritan, again, a pagan mm -hmm. uh, in, in Jewish eyes, is who's the one who shows mercy on someone who's been beaten up and left to die on, on the roadside. So all of those are examples of Jesus saying that the living God rises above our, our tribalisms and our, our, our differences because mm. the living God reaches out and is close to all of these sorts of people and, you know, consequences flow from that. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, that's a long answer, uh, John, but you know, those, <laughs> are, those are powerful and poignant and moving stories that Christians over, often overlook. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think so? Well, I'm not altogether sure. I mean, the reason I wrote my book about Jesus and the religions was I kept on thinking when I was uh, teaching, teaching the Bible um, that I'd read people who uh, were right, explaining what these Bible passages are all about, I kept on thinking to myself, well, the, in a minute they'll go on and say, well, now, 
Uh, this is really relevant uh, today because of, you know, <laughs> squabbling between the religions and all mm. the rest of it. But they never, no one made that move. Mm. No one said, the example of Jesus is a powerful incentive for us to think differently about and act differently towards people of other faiths, all from the example of Jesus himself. Mm. You know, the self-declared son of God. Yeah. Whoa. Why, why couldn't people see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't know. So, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's baffling, isn't it? Well, well, what do you think that it, what do you think that it does say for us? How, how, what, how are we supposed to take that and, and apply that to today? Well, Jesus' reaction. Yes, well, for, for one thing, it exposes the way in which we have quite visceral reactions often to people who are different from us. Mm. And um, Christian people often buy into that uh, uh, willingness to, to badmouth people of, of other faiths um, when Jesus didn't. Um, and this is not because Jesus had uh, lost uh, a grip on the religion, the religious distinctions, um, the differences that are there, it's, it's because he wanted to show that the living God uh, does care about uh, all people mm. and, uh, and he often had, often had to get quite irritated with his own disciples who were often tugging, literally tugging Jesus away mm. from his willingness to heal these people, yeah. for, for example. Yeah. So there's just something unfortunate about the way in which once we feel we are privileged as a religion or privileged as people that Jesus loves or privileged because we follow Jesus in a way that other people don't, there's something about us that makes us think... Uh, that makes us maybe better than other people, mm. and uh, and Jesus went out of his way to the say definite that's hubris not, we have, yeah, yeah exactly, yes, human pride, yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's interesting. I just started thinking about, um, you know, God's God's will to go out of his way, God's desire to um, to heal and have the everyone the the care the care for all creation for all people. Um, does Jesus's willingness to go out of the way in spite of his own disciples begging him not to, uh, does that say anything about uh, salvation outside of the Christian faith? Well, uh, remember when Jesus was asked, you know, Lord, are there many who are going to be saved or few? He was asked that twice, and both times he sidestepped that question. Mm. Um, but if you were really to push me hard about that question, I'd send you back to the Roman centurion. And uh, because after Jesus had healed the Romans, the Roman centurion's son, uh, immediately afterwards in, in, in Matthew 8, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, on the last day when there's that great banquet, mm. uh, when God brings together uh, a banquet hosted by all his prophets, there are going to be people there who come from north and south and east and west, mm. 
And he says, this Roman centurion will be among them. Mm. Now, to universalize from that is not possible. Mm. Um, so I don't want to romanticize and say, oh, well, Jesus uh, just uh, uh, offers blanket approval to everything and everyone. That, right. That's not happening. Okay. Jesus yeah. disapproves of a number of things Gentiles do. Mm. He goes out of his way to say, don't imitate them religiously. Mm. But at the same time, he also says about the Syrophoenician mother and the Roman centurion, in effect, he says, you know, God is pleased with the way the faith and humility of these people plays out mm. for the benefit of others. Mm. So... Um, I'm happy not to answer the question about ultimate salvation, well, that's but good. simply yeah, to but point out what Jesus said and did yeah, yeah. and what he commended and what he disapproved of as well. So mm. I guess, John, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to distance myself from a, a naive romanticism which says, oh, it doesn't matter about the religious distinctions, mm. you know, just uh, basically it all boils down to... The, no, Jesus never went down that romanticised, naive, idealist track. Mm. But on the other hand, neither did Jesus endorse uh, the exclusivism that both his own disciples and certainly his fellow Jews who wanted to exclude. Mm. So I don't want... On the one hand, you can't claim Jesus as romantic includer of everyone, mm. but you can't also claim him as... A, a tough-minded excluder of everyone. Mm. He's his own person, and uh, that's what that's what really does make Jesus unique and mm. worth following. Yeah. I keep on yeah, telling yeah. people. And has the example that he sets clearly shows us that God cares about other people yes. and other faiths. That they, certainly is the about. universal dimension. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that certainly, certainly is. Yeah. Yes. Um, wow. Cool. Um, Let's talk about the the, the 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 Samaritan woman at the well yes. a little bit and um, what sort of parallels that story has for us today in, in, in this pluralistic religious society. Well, it has real parallels in uh, when, when we talk to, to Muslim people because one of the things my, my book um, establishes, I think a kind of novel breakthrough, was that there... I uncovered 13 very precise parallels between Islam and Samaritanism. Um, people had often picked up three or four or five, but because I worked for a missionary organisation that sponsored uh, missionaries going into Muslim countries, mm -hmm. and I gave some studies from time to time um, to, our, to our missionaries about... Uh, usually it was four or five parallels between Samaritans and Muslims, only to have the missionaries come up to me and say, hey, look, there's more parallels. You, you, you didn't see the following. And so the number grew from four or five to 13 <laughs> wow, yeah. uh, of parallels. And uh, that suggested to me that uh, if Jesus acted in certain ways towards Samaritans, and Samaritans are uncannily parallel to Muslims today, uh, that gives us some examples to follow. For example, mm -hmm. uh, I, I notice that uh, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, uh, he lets her go over the distinctives. See, so Jesus has gone onto her onto her territory, and both 
the writer of John's Gospel and the Samaritan woman start to rehearse some of the Samaritan distinctives. You know, we're not the same as you Jews mm. because this is our patch, this is our Turunga Waiwai, and uh, here, here is our mountain, and here mm -hmm. are the things we do and don't do. And uh, uh, as Muslims often do to us, you know, we're not the same as you Christians because of the following. Now, Jesus doesn't interrupt. He doesn't dispute. He lets her rehearse these and I have to say that there were grudges that Samaritans carried because of there was okay. violence and slander between between the, the two groups. Jesus listens to the Samaritan woman. He goes along with her to the extent that he can and then gently points out that, in fact, the living God actually rises above these old Samaritan Jewish squabbles. Mm. Jesus saying, the time is coming when the living God wants all people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to depend upon whether it's in at, on your Samaritan mountain mm -hmm. or on our Jewish mountain, or in brackets we might add, in a Muslim place. It's yeah. because God, the living God, rises above all of these things, and I, the Messiah... Uh, Muslims still look to a, for a Messiah to come, mm. as the Samaritan woman did. And Samaritan woman ends up saying, you know, the way you're talking, you must be the, Samar uh, the, Samar uh, the Messiah. Mm. To which Jesus said, well, well, lady, you've, you've said it, yeah. um, you know. So th the passage is remarkable for the way in which Jesus interacts with the, the well-rehearsed grudges of Samaritanism. He doesn't buy into them. Uh, particularly, or hardly, uh, hardly at all, um, but he, he points to a dimension that that overrides and overrules all of uh, all of that, and then then he goes off and breaks uh, a whole lot of rules and regulations by going and staying with the Samaritans, going to their village, living with them, accepting their food and drink. Now, mm -hmm. whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I'm amazed that even got into the New <laughs> Testament in a yeah, way, that's really, yeah. because we're you know first Christians were trying to sell their religion to to their Jewish colleagues, mm. and why would you put a story like that in there? Oh, mm. But that's who Jesus was and is. Yeah, mm. can't deny that. Yeah. Um, so okay, so what sort of place? Where, where does that leave us with religious tolerance in, in the church today? Like, are we doing a good job? Can we do better? Is there a place for it? What? What you know? What, in your opinion, what should should there be a threshold of uh, religious tolerance mm. and, and involvement mm. and interface? And mm. well, what do we notice? Uh, let's compare tradition, like one traditional Christian way of meeting people of other faiths. It's been the way of monologue. Mm. The way in which what Christian preachers and teachers most want is for people of other faiths to be quiet so that, <laughs> and here I exaggerate a little bit, so that we who know everything yeah. can tell these people who know nothing what they otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't hear. Yeah. That's the way of monologue. Yeah. Now, when Jesus meets Samaritans and Gentiles, that is not what he does. His way is a way of dialogue. His way is a way of question and answer. Mm. 
Jesus shows non-condescending respect mm. to Samaritans and Gentiles. Now, there's an immediate clue. Uh, the Jesus who listens to what they have to say to him, mm. who doesn't insist on... Now, he, he enters, Jesus does in the Gospels. There are monologues aplenty, but they are directed at his fellow Jews. Mm. Yes, true. When he meets mm. Gentiles and Samaritans, there is question and answer, there is dialogue backwards and forward, and there is kindness and healing being offered by Jesus. Mm. Now, that in, that in itself... I think that that's the answer to to your question. Yeah, the yeah. way of Jesus is a way of dialogue, question and answer, kindness, and the offering of wholeness, healing to people, and that actually does work. I, I could give you an example from the mosque here in Christchurch yeah, please, yeah. in due course. Well, I mean, a, a few years ago, uh, just after the after the um, nine eleven. Um, uh, you know the planes crashing yes. into, and uh, three thousand or so people being killed. Um, the 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 imam of the Christchurch Mosque uh, at, at that time was in Sydney, and uh, but then he came to Christchurch, and I took our students. I don't think you were in the class that I took. No, I wasn't. I, no, I was. I was still stateside. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so so I, I take all our Laidlaw College students to the mosque. Mm. And uh, the imam sits us down and says, and gets out his old seminary notes mm. and sort of blows the dust off them and, has to, and runs his finger down saying all the things that are wrong with Christianity. He's clearly not memorised it. It's not very convincing. He's got to actually read off his notes. Mm -hmm. and that's pretty unauthentic. I thought this is not from his heart. If it was from his heart he would do what all Muslim preachers do, is just stand up and speak. Mm. But he's got to tell us all the way, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, and this is wrong. And, uh, and, and he's looking at our students saying, so uh, what do you think about that? And I'm busy shaking my head to our students saying, look, let's not, let's <laughs> not stop, let's not debate this right now. Right, yeah. Because I promised them something else would happen. And sure enough, the other thing that happens then is he says, oh, well, um, uh, well, he makes a little a plea for for." us Protestants to join up with uh, him as a Sunni Muslim to do battle against the Shiite Muslims. And I'm thinking, okay, look, let's just, we're not, certainly not going to buy into that one. He wow, wanted a little yeah, alliance. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> because a very weird understanding he had of Christianity. Anyway, so then he takes us in to a very nice uh, afternoon tea, sits us all down, and there's a very nice hospitable courtesy. And I say to him, because I just had a little inkling, I'd had a little insight into this. Someone has said to me um, before we went there, ask him about what happened in Sydney at his mosque. So I say, Imam, um, look, we want to hear a little bit of your story. Tell us what happened uh, in Sydney after the 9-11 thing. Oh, he says it was bad. He said people came along and they drew swastikas on our mosque. And uh, they threw stones at my children going to school. And in the supermarket, people would spit on my wife. Mm. It was very bad, he said. And I said, well, what? Uh, uh, I didn't really know what had happened. I said, so what happened after that? He said, well, you know what? He said, some people came to help us. In fact, 
the only people who came to help us were Christians, the local Christian church. They were the ones who came along and painted the swastikas off. We'd started to, but people would throw stones and, and yell at us. It was the local Christians who came along, uh, painted off the swastikas, uh, brought sweets for my children, a cake for my wife, and they brought flowers to me. Mm. And when he told us that, he started to cry. Mm. He started to cry. This is the one who, quarter of an hour before this, was busy telling us in a rather yeah. unconvincing way <laughs> yeah. just how wrong Christians were and how right Muslims were. But when the chips were down, as he said to us, the only people who came to help us were the Christians from the local church. Mm. And as I said to my students, the people in that mosque in Sydney and all their families will never forget that the people who helped them in their time of need were. Yes. And, of course, after the mosque massacres here, we get that same kind yeah. of dynamic at work. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of argumentation, and I'm not so naive as not to know that uh, Muslims are still rather divided in terms of how they should react to overtures from from Christians, okay. um, you know, the, I, I, the, Christian, the Muslim community is a wee bit divided over this, but that's as you ex would expect, just as the Muslim, uh, the Christian community is divided be, yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. But when the chips are down, loving kindness speaks. And, you know, those Muslims will remember the kindness of the kind long after they've forgotten anything that I supposedly might say in a clever way, mm. they're not going to go home talking about that so much as the fact, remember what those Christian, those followers of Jesus did. Mm. And I could tell you some spectacular stories from Iran and Iraq and Africa and North Africa that mm. reinforce that model of behaviour um, from Christians in particular towards Muslims. Mm. I wish I had time to hear all those stories, but <laughs> uh, I think we're actually, it's probably a good place to stop um, because otherwise we probably would just tell stories all day long. Of but uh, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing those insights with us. Um, maybe I'll have you on again at some point. We can talk about other things or continue talking about this or whatever. But uh, what's, what's next for you? Anything going on? Anything you want to plug or promote? What's happening in your life? Um, oh, no, no, look, I've, I've, I've done my projects? dash here today. Yeah. I mean, for someone who's just advocated the importance of dialogue and avoiding monologues, I'm sorry, I've landed <laughs> a number of monologues on you in this session, but, but my heart is engaged with, uh, with, with those issues. That's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that you were, um, you were a highly sought-after man to speak um, to places and groups after the March 15th attacks. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I just want to commend you for, yeah. for being available for that and, mm -hmm. and, and sharing your experiences and your wisdom with the mm -hmm. church. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. So um, you've got, you got your book. Is that for sale somewhere? People can, if oh, they want to. Jesus and the religions, just hunt for just it. Hunt for it. If you get really desperate, I can, I can sell people copies at uh, the author's price. But uh, I'm not here to plug the book. That's, Although that's it does fine. have some resources that will, yeah. that will help yeah. people. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, if anyone wants to follow up anything you said or any of the questions or discussions that we've had, um, would you be happy to field some questions via email or anything like that? If yes. Um, 
the best email for me is theologist Bob, uh, all lowercase one word, theologist Bob at Gmail. Cool. Theologistbob at gmail. If you want to shoot him any questions about what we talked yeah. about here today, you can always shoot me questions as well. Um, cool. Well, thanks, Bob. Thank you um, for coming on. You can add this to your list of prestigious, uh, um, uh, you know, prestigious uh, credentials. <laughs> Made it onto the Honest Theology podcast. Podcast, indeed. <laughs> uh, but I'm thank honored. you. Thanks again. Always, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening along. And join our podcast community on Facebook and share thoughts and ideas and, and join the conversation. Uh, you find us just searching The Honest Theology Podcast on Facebook. And you can follow me or hit me up on Twitter at HonestJohnnyB if you want. And if you're in the Christchurch area or just passing through, come see me at Linwood Avenue Union Church. Uh, or visit us online at lauc.org.nz. And as always, uh, I hope you join me again next time here on The Honest Theology Podcast. Peace be with you. <laughs>